Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In chapter 29 of the Monologion, Anselm begins a line of reasoning which is going to focus upon what he calls the divine locutio or expression or the divine word, the verbum. And what he's going to be deriving in this is essentially in Christian doctrine, the second person of the Trinity, the Son, although he's not going to call it as such yet. He's going to deal with that in later chapters. He's gradually working his way towards that by looking at how the divine substance is related to creation, but also related to itself. And so there's going to be some really interesting discussions of expression and identity and utterance and essence going on in these chapters to come. So he begins in chapter 27 by talking about the utterance, the locutio, of the divine substance. This is something that we've already seen discussed in previous chapters earlier on. And he says that this is, in fact, the same as the divine substance. So there's a difference, right? At least for us in the way that we're normally thinking about expression. Anselm, for example, expressed himself in the Monologion. I'm just, you know, holding a copy of that here, which is a copy of a copy of a copy, and we can go on and on from, from there. We're used to thinking about expression as being something different from the thing expressing. But even so, we can think of some sorts of expression where it is the thing itself that's doing the expressing. For instance, my facial expressions are expressions of emotions, perhaps, that I feel inside, like anger or surprise or whatever we want, right? There we see expression as being more closely connected. And remember, Anselm thinks that some of the ways in which we express things, some of the locutio that we have, are in our mind. We think in terms of words that we use, or we reason, or we imagine. All of those are examples of expression or utterance in this case. So the utterance of the divine substance, he asserts, is going to be the same as the divine substance. Right? He wants to examine this utterance by which all things are made. How does he come to the point in saying that it has to be the same thing as what's doing the expressing? That is, how does he come to the point of saying the expression has to be the same thing as the expressor, you might say? So he says, well, if the Supreme Spirit made nothing except through itself, and whatever was made by the Supreme Spirit, or the Supreme Substance, was made through its utterance, how can that utterance be anything other than what he himself is? And he says, consider further, the utterance is not a created thing, because it was what everything else was created through. Right? So it's not as if God first created this utterance, which that it could use as kind of like a rule or measure or something like that. It's already there in God eternally. As, as Anselm's going to say, co-eternally. Uh, we can't even say from the beginning. Just It's just there, right? It's sort of outside the bounds of time. So it wasn't a created thing, or it's not a created thing. It also wasn't made through itself. If we had that case, not only does Anselm say God doesn't make himself anyway, but then we would have the problem of 
multiple divine beings who are self-creating, and Anselm thinks that that's just not going to work. So instead, how should we make sense of this? He says it's the understanding, the intelligentsia, and utterance of the supreme spirit, the divine substance. He says, it cannot be understood as anything other than the understanding of that spirit by which he understands all things. For what is it for him to utter something in his sense of uttering other than to understand it? Unlike a human being, he never fails to utter what he understands. So if this supremely simple nature is nothing other than what his understanding is, because remember, anything that God is, God is entirely that. So if God is understanding, God is totally understanding, as well as being reason, wisdom, goodness, all, all the other divine attributes. He says just the same as he is what his wisdom is, then it must be that in the same way he is nothing other than what his utterance is. But since it's already evident that the Supreme Spirit is only one, and in every way individual, his utterance, here Anselm uses this term explicitly, must be co-substantial, that is, of the same substance with him, so that they're not two spirits, not two different beings, but one being, which then you might say, well, has different what? How do we want to describe it? That's what we're going to get to a little bit later. Let's go on and take a look at what else he has to say. Chapter 30, he's considering the question, is this multiple words, sort of like a composite that's put together, when we talk about the utterance, or is it just one single unified word, one verbum? Here he's using the word word explicitly. Well, why would we be tempted to think that the word could be multiple or composite? Well, the word is that through which everything else, all these created beings, are indeed created, according to Anselm. And these are different beings, right? This is not the same thing as this or this. So why shouldn't there be different, whatever we want to call them, expressions, logos, you know, accounts, whatever, of these different things? Why shouldn't then the word be like a super complex, almost like an encyclopedia through which everything else is made, or like the master pattern? Well, then we would lose the unity of the word, wouldn't we? And Anselm considers that to already have been established, so we're going to have one word that is actually supremely simple. Going beyond the simplicity that we ourselves even work with, we've already seen that divine simplicity is, in some ways, I'm going to make a joke here, more complicated than what we normally think of as simplicity. So let's go on then to the next chapter, chapter 31. Anselm has a lot of interesting things to say here, this is a long chapter, and I'm only going to hit on certain parts of it that are relevant here. In chapter 31, he says, The words by which we say things in our mind are likenesses and images of the things of which they're words, right? So when we imagine something, the, the image is the word in our mind, and the real thing is what we're imagining. Even when we have, as Anselm says, the thing itself in our mind, like when we are understanding rational animal, rational mortal animal as human being, Anselm says, look, that's still an image. It's still not the thing it's Itself, although that's, that one's more closely connected because we're actually self-reflecting there, but that's a topic we'll get to in a bit. So the question then is, are the things of creation, like you and me and everything else, this chalkboard, are they what the word is an image of? 
Let's say the word is totally perfectly simple. Put that problem aside. Are those things then the real things and then the word is sort of like the blueprint or the copy or the recording or something along those lines? Anselm says, no, the priority of being is exactly opposite. Things are in fact copies of what they are in the word. The reality of them exists in this word. And he says, the word is the true and simple, at another point he uses the term absolute essence, of which the created beings are merely likenesses, simultudines or magines. They are sort of knockoffs, they're copies, they're the extrapolations. So even the things that we take as being totally real, we say, well, these aren't imaginary, these aren't just, you know, depicted or something like that. They're not as real as we think because they're not as real as this true and simple essence through which they are what they are. Let's go on to 32, which is where we're actually going to take a sort of stop in the argument and do another video specifically about some of the aspects of this and the later chapters that come up. But we want to get, you know, at least to the point of that. We've got this issue of, okay, there's the supreme being, the divine substance, the supreme spirit, however we want to consider it, and then it expresses itself somehow in some word that's supposed to be it at the same time. Okay, we've got our heads wrapped around that. What's going on with this? So it creates created being through that, but what if it didn't create any created being? Or what about before creation happened? Does that mean the word didn't exist at that time? So we just had the divine substance and then maybe it, you know, it, it starts expressing and boom, there's the, the world. Anselm says, no, the Supreme Spirit utters or understands itself through the word. So it's, it's not merely a relation to external beings, to the created beings that are not the same thing as, as the divine substance. It is a way in which the divine substance is indeed totally related to itself, not just partially, not just accidentally, totally related to itself. So in finding out about this word, we're finding out something that is integral to the divine substance, something that is of the very nature, Anselm is, is saying to us, uh, of God. So he says, if no essence other than the Supreme Spirit ever existed, according to the, the argument people would like to make, then no word at all would exist in him. If no word existed in him, he would not utter anything within himself. Now for him, to utter something is the same as, as to understand it. So if God were not to utter anything, that means that he would not be understanding anything, which means that the Supreme Wisdom, as he says, which is nothing other than that same Spirit, would not understand anything. So you might say, well, what kind of supreme wisdom is that? You know, you can say, well, you know, it's got the potential for understanding things when maybe things happen to show up, but there's not anything there to begin with. So it's kind of inactive. That seems to go against the whole notion of wisdom itself as being something that is better to be than, than not to be. So he says, if nothing existed apart from God, what would he understand? So if, if God is going to understand something and nothing yet has been created, what is there to understand? God, self-understanding. And this is where we're getting to something really interesting, right? The divine substance would still express itself and understand itself through the word. He says, if we want to understand this, we can compare this to the human rational mind, which 
also likewise expresses itself in relation to itself, right? When you think of who you are, or you ask yourself, did I understand everything that's happening in this video? Let me test my own knowledge. There's a referentiality that's going on there. It's nothing quite like what God presumably is experiencing in the Word. But the Word itself, this understanding, is what God is. Similarly, when you are reflecting on your own rational mind, Anselm says, you are using the rational mind to make a sort of expression of itself, which is itself. That just happens to be the case even more for God or for the Word. So now we have these two aspects. Remember, Anselm is asserting that these are not distinct substances or distinct spirits, but they are things that we can distinguish within the divine. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.